Welcome back to the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here, and we've started out today with a beautiful musical interlude that, for those of you who don't know it, is Yasha Heifetz. He was by far and away the greatest violinist of his generation, and that was a generation that had a lot of great violinists. For those of us that are not listening to classical music, I want to tell you, that rocks. And uh, for those of you that have been following the Professor Penn Podcast, you know I have a wide range of musical tastes. I can tell you about the only thing I don't like is German military music, for obvious reasons, for very obvious reasons. But I hope you can learn to get your uh, groove on with that kind of music. And we'll talk about that after I thank Free People Radio for giving me a platform to get to know you and to speak with you. Tireget.com, that's T-I-R-E-G-E-T.com. 14,000 different kinds of tires in stock. The price is right. It's everything you need for tires. And when you buy your tires at Tireget, you fund the movement. That's a win-win, and we need to think more and more about this we vote with our money thing. You know, it's so easy to become uh, unconscious around money because, you know, we're dealing with money every day. And if we just get a little bit of consciousness in there and start to spend our money with the companies that are part of this movement, that support this movement, because they need your money. You know, the, these big box stores, they're all woke. They're all down with the globalist agenda. And there's just a handful of patriotic companies that are supporting the media, which we're all tuned into to try to get some news and information that is not mainstream. Because if all we have is the mainstream, hey, we're mainstream. That's what we talked about on the last podcast about propaganda. When people are immersed in propaganda and they're so immersed in it that they don't even know they're being propagandized, hey, that's called uniparty. And why are we together? Because we know there's another truth out there, another street corner. And we depend on the advertising dollars of our uh, sponsors so that we can stay on air and work with you. So please, uh, when you're going to buy your tires, go to tireget.com. It's, it's about a lot more than just buying tires. It puts meaningfulness into something that's kind of a pain, right? Precinctstrategy.com. Hey, now this is a tutorial about how to get off the bench and get into the game of politics. Get off that bench, get off that couch, and get into the game of politics. That's what we're doing here. I try to be entertaining. As you know, from time to time, I can be humorous. I want to be funny. I want to be entertaining. But I'm doing it to make getting involved fun. And the most important thing about the new politics is we're telling uh, the closest version of the truth that we can get to. You know, a lot of these people, they know they're spinning. Sometimes when I'm not on the mark, it's not because I'm BSing. It's just that things are always changing, new information's coming forward, and I'm able to refine my presentation. I'm not staying locked into a propagandist's story. I'm continually trying to get things moved up the field. So, you know, people are going to come into the live chat and they're going to say, oh, you've changed your position. Well, yeah, that's called critical thinking. I don't want to stay the same. I, you know, we are all evolving. And right now, we better evolve at a really fast pace. Because if we don't, you know, get on this with some speed and some intensity, let me show you what's coming. 
Could you play this piece here, uh, this next one, this Dr. Strangelove piece? Sir, I have a plan. Thank you, Tanner. Thank you very much. That is the final scene of a classic movie, Dr. Strangelove. If my memory serves correct, it was released in 1963. Uh, It was a Stanley Kubrick film. He wrote it and directed it. And it was uh, written at the time of uh, really intense tensions, oh, between Russia and the United States. Well, they called it the Soviet Union then. It was the Soviet Union. Nah, it was Russia. So this little drama we're in has gone back to 1807. And Kubrick uh, wrote and directed this film uh, to kind of bring some levity, but some truth to the American people, you know, about what was going on. And, you know, it's just as relevant today as it was in 63. I remember seeing it in 63. I was very young. And boy, it was uh, it was something that kept you up at night. Why don't you stay up at night? Go to YouTube or wherever you go get your uh, video and watch this movie. If, you know, even if you watched it previously, first of all, it's hilarious. Uh, Peter Sellers plays uh, the part of the president, uh, President Miffley. He plays Doctor Strangelove. He plays a British officer. He plays all these different roles, and he is fantastic in this thing, hilarious. If you don't know Peter Sellers, hey, some of these people are timeless. Please find him. He's just great. Slim Pickens is in the movie. He's famous. Uh, George C. Scott plays General Buck Turgeson. Hilarious. Just hilarious. It's worth it. I mean, it's really, please watch it, and I look forward to your comments on it. But it's really not a, it's a movie that's funny to get you engaged with the very serious issue, we've created two kinds of technologies in the world. Look at that Bach, Yasha Heifetz. You know, I, I've started to interest, in, introduce this idea that our habits form our character and our character forms our destiny. What are we doing today? 
What do we ritually do every day? That's what these secret societies have over us civilians. The secret societies contain ritual and daily practice, which produce a result. And, you, you know, you watch Heifetz. Go back and start over after we get through the podcast and look at the virtuosity of this man, the creativity, the discipline. He's 80 years old in that, 80. He's playing like, you know, most people can't find their... Think of our president, okay? This guy is playing the Bach Chaconne, which was one of the greatest pieces of music ever written, with great skill and beauty, and he's on the decline. You should have heard this dude when he was 35, 40 years old. At 80, he's just incredible. And that was a lifetime of practice, a lifetime of secret society, a lifetime of doing something through three, four, five, six, seven hours every day, like an athlete. That's a very athletic thing he's doing. It's so cool. Oh, that's one side. That would be the yin side. Oh, and what's the yang side? We've set up a military-industrial complex and a university system that has generated the potential for instant mass death. It's also a secret society. Look what they're working on. Look at the outcome of their activity, and you and I are funding it. American citizens are putting $400 billion a year into our university system to create weapons of death, technologies of destruction. And that's over above the $1.5 trillion that's in the budget. They say $898 billion, but when you start looking into the fine print, it's about a trillion and a half plus the $400 billion on the research side, $2 trillion devoted to killing people. Now, they say it's for the defense of the United States, and that, in my opinion, is a lie. We are living in an empire. Our military has 350 18-hole golf courses scattered throughout the world. We have troops and bases everywhere. And that is the globalization process, the globalizing force, the number one. If you're, if you're aware of globalization and you question it, the number one globalizing force in the American society, in our, in our world, with the world you and I inhabit, our number one globalizing entity is the U.S. military. And we all agree about it. Broad bipartisan agreement, let's have an empire. But empire, as I've said recently, and I, I'm going to say it again because I think it bears some contemplation, empire is an affront and a repudiation of our constitutional formative documents. Our documents are the repudiation of empire, and empire is a repudiation of self-governance. You can't have both. you got to pick one and live with your decision. So if you want to be a minion and be in an empire, hey, they got it. I mean, that's where we're at. We're minions right now. Our freedom of speech is being abridged. Our freedom of assembly is going to be abridged. Our freedoms generally across the board are being abridged, and they're not hiding about it. I mean, they're just saying, hey, no freedom for you. The freedom is for me but not for you. I'm leading the empire. I'm going to live in a mansion. You live in a 15-minute city in a 300-square-foot apartment. Thank you very much. Or we go back to and we, we, we defend and we grow through your participation in politics, and that's all it takes is the American people to say, I'm getting involved. As soon as you get involved, this is over. 
because everybody watching this is watching it because we know the truth or a, a higher version of the truth. We're somewhat liberated to some extent from this, this wall of lies that we're immersed in. We figured it out. You figured it out. Oh, the people that are watching me for intelligence, maybe even you'll figure it out. You know, one of the great things that's happened throughout the years is they're spies, right? And then they get turned and they become double agents. Maybe you like to be a double agent. Join the freedom movement and go over to the military and screw them up instead of trying to screw us up. If you want to apply for that job, come see me. Of course, you know, we're never going to trust you. Not what you say. But let's see what you do. Maybe you'd like to join the freedom movement. Freedom. Why we have a flag. Why we're Americans is for self-governance. You cannot have self-governance and empire. It does not work. They're in contradiction to each other. We're going to have to choose as the American people. And we're going to have to choose right now, and I'm going to tell you why. All those nuclear bombs going off. Pretty pictures, huh? You know, there's a huge nuclear crisis that's brewing that we the people, because we're sitting at home, what are we doing? We're getting high and jerking off. And they did that to us. Do you know, remember William Casey? We'll know our propaganda program is successful when everything the American people believe is a lie. Remember that guy? Remember that guy? We're all home, passive. Nobody's protesting. There isn't enough protest to want a shotgun. So they're getting away with this. And what are they getting away with? They're getting away with marching us into Armageddon, which to me seems to be their plan. Now, I know there's people in the live chat, and I've interacted with them, that see this as God's plan. And I understand where they're coming from. And I'm a very religious person, and I totally get it, what, what you're saying. I'm going to do everything I can for human well-being and everything I can do for peace as part of my own personal salvation. The outcome is not in my hands. The outcome is in God's hands. But I'm not going to sit passively and say, oh, God, you know what? You were going to blow it up, so I just let it go. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work because, you know, if you go back and look in the history of our religious tradition, at different times, God's wrath was cooled. I mean, God holds back his wrath. As part of being God, he loves his children. He loves his creation. He made this place. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure he doesn't want to trash it. And if all of a sudden the American people, in their own personal conduct, one amongst the other, and I, and I started to introduce this concept also, you really want to fuck up these people? Just be good. I mean, really start there. Start being focused on doing good in your own life. And what is good? enhance your own well-being. It's a win-win. It disempowers evil, and it makes you a healthier, longer-living person. It allows you to spread well-being to all the people that are around you, and that's what we want. We want an American community of well-being where we lift each other up. You know, I, I didn't feel very good yesterday, and I told a couple people that I had to go home and go to sleep, and I, I have a theory about why, which is I... Uh, <laughs> Royce White let me do Please Call Me Crazy. He was traveling. And, uh, boy, I went and got a taste of his audience. Uh, you know, he had the premiere, 20,000 people watching. Wow, that kind of blew out my circuits. And uh, I thought maybe I was getting sick. No, what I was was overwhelmed because all these people are connected in a group, and I got to get into that group for the first time. 
And boy, was that a gratifying experience. And I want to thank the people that have come over from that Please Call Me Crazy group and are now part of the Professor Penn podcast. Really happy you're here. Really nice to meet you. Really appreciate your comments. Please go back into that Please Call Me Crazy live chat and let's get this thing spread out because Royce and I are working two ends of the same waterfront. We're really not coordinated in... uh, We don't sit down and script out what we're doing. He's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. But we're plugged into the same transmission. We both are believers, and we're both hearing the same thing. So there's always this kind of synergy going on, and I think it's good for, you know, the the Please Call Me Crazy crowd to come over here and get a little bit of this, you know, historical context that I'm trying to put out in support of Royce's leadership of our movement. And he is a leader of our movement, and he deserves all the respect for being a leader. It takes great bravery. It takes uh, uh, really grit to get up, you know, every day and, and tell the do your best job to tell the truth. I'm not saying it is the truth, but it is we're trying to get to a more holistic, you know, honest inquiry. Uh, unlike what I'm going to call the three stooges. I got a new group of guys. I have a new group of guys. It's the three stooges. It's uh, Mr. We Don't Do That Here, Mr. History Doesn't Matter, and Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans. You know, these are the guys that we're dealing with. <laughs> The Three Stooges. Now, what is this drama going on in the Ukraine? What is this drama? You know, when this thing started, President Biden said, no tanks, no planes. You know, too dangerous. Well, that was not honest because now they're getting ready to put F-16s, which is a fourth-generation fighter. It is not the most current stuff. It's kind of going to be cannon fodder for the most modern Russian uh, military planes. But they've done something very interesting. The F-16 comes both nuclear-capable and not nuclear-capable. And guess what F-16s that they're putting in theater? It's the nuclear-capable F-16s. So if you're sitting in the bunker in Moscow, and these F-16s are out there, and they take off, how do you know what kind of munitions is on them? Could be bunker buster bombs, could be tactical nukes. So you know what you do if you're in a war, which I'm going to tell you, I'm in business. Business is like war without bullets. You always, if you want to survive, you always plan for the worst case scenario. Always. That's just military doctrine if you want to live. I mean, let me tell you, if you're fighting and you're not paying attention to the worst case scenario, you're not going home. And uh, these sons of bitches are putting these nuclear-capable F-16s in there. They're looking to start a nuclear war. The Russians are not thinking about whether or not they're going to bomb these NATO bases. They're figuring out how they're going to do it. They're going to destroy this capability. And I just want to remind you, this is not new. This happened in the Cuban Missile Crisis. I should probably do a whole podcast on the Cuban Missile Crisis. You know, the the Russians put uh, nuclear weapons and missiles in Cuba, and Kennedy was willing to go to war over this, but he didn't listen to our illustrious Joint Chiefs, and instead of going immediately into combat, he blockaded Cuba, and the Russians backed down, which was great. 
<clears throat> you know, there's no back down here in our government. These people are mass murderers, getting ready to be mass murderers. Some of us would claim they're already mass murderers if you want to go back to Iraq or Afghanistan. This crew that's running this thing, they do not care about human life. They're eugenicists. They have no faith. None. It's survival of the fittest to these people, and they're throwing down. And the only way we're going to survive this is by getting into the streets. Now, some of you can come right into the Republican Party. I'll help you get in, and we're going to set that intake mechanism up, and we can overwhelm this party with people that want to live. And when the people that want to live have more votes than the people that don't give a shit, hey, things change like, like that overnight. So we got to get working on that. But there's also just getting out in the streets and protesting this war. Where's the protest? I mean, come on, is the dope that good? You can't get off the couch? Hell, in the 1960s and 70s, those protesters were smoking dope, but they had the gumption to get up and protest the Vietnam War. Everybody was stoned. You went out to those protests, all you did was smell marijuana in the air. How about we have a marijuana a smoking party protesting the war? Come on, you organize it. <clears throat> you know, one of the things I want to say to you is, you know, I, there's something for everybody to do. If there's some people out there that want to organize a marijuana protest, go do it. Don't wait. It's an all-hands-on-deck moment. That's what I'm trying to do in this podcast. And I want to tell you again, as I've said, if I could stay home and do the things I like to do, i got a violin at home. I'd love to practice it three hours a day. I can play piano. I could practice martial discipline eight hours a day and be happy. I mean, really, there's no limit to what I would like to invest in from all the secret societies that I've spent my time in at the at this point in my life. I wish I was doing that. Can't do it. Got to fight these people because they're going to kill my children. I've got, yeah, I have a daughter in high school still. I'm not going to let her get killed. I love her. She's beautiful and talented and sensitive and brainwashed. I, you know, I, she's not going to do it. You know, I got to go out and do it for her. So these 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 uh, these 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 bastards are are putting nuclear capable F-16s in theater, and this this is a reverse Cuban missile crisis. No coverage on the news. You're not going to see it tonight on CNN. It's not going to be on Fox because what do they agree about? Broad bipartisan agreement on the military industrial complex. Nobody wants to take these people on because guess what? People get killed when they scream out that these people are mass murderers. You know what? I'm willing, if I have to die, uh, believe me, I have no interest in dying. I love my life. I love living. I love living because it lets me commune with the one true most holy God. There's nothing I would rather do than that. I don't want to die. In fact, I pray. You know, thank you for saving me, Lord. Can the dust praise you? Every day I say that. You know, who's going to praise you? I want to live. But I'm not going to sit here and let men that put their pants legs on just like I do, that were educated in our elite institutions and do not care about my children, run roughshod over the American people because most of the folks are brain dead. We got to wake these people up one at a time. <clears throat> one at a time. We're just going to have to do it. You're going to have to do it. I'm going to do it. And, you know, I'm asking you to join with me, and I know you are. Now I know you are because I'm seated in the live chat. 
people are actually getting engaged and we're going to make it a lot easier to do it a lot. And in the meantime, when we got this Ukraine thing going on, let's not forget about the granddaddy of the thing, which is in China and secretary uh, Blinken had a, had a meeting uh, with president Xi this past couple of days. It's the first high level meeting that's happened in a long time because of the deterioration of, uh, U.S.-Chinese uh, uh, relations, diplomatic re- relations, are at an all-time low. So, you you know, I'm reading all the U.S. news. Oh, it's a great meeting. Oh, tensions are less. But you see, I've been to China a lot. So I went to the Chinese ministry website, and they said, no, the Americans are full of shit. The only reason President Xi met with them was be- just for courtesy, and the Americans are the cause of all of our problems. And basically, you know, the Chinese attitude is, up yours. And I, I've i tried to start to introduce this historical argument about why they feel that way. And, you know, I'm going to tell a story. I'm going to go way off script. You know, I started uh, dealing in China in 1993. 93. Now, it was opened in probably was 73, but not a lot happened for about 10 years. About the early 80s, things started starting to pop, you know, where there was starting to be commerce. And I was heavily involved there in 93. 93. It's a long time ago. I was there early on. I was there at a time that there was no cars on the road. The Chinese walked every place they went or they rode bikes. And there was, I mean, I, I it was stunning. You go to a society and you see an army of people walking everywhere. There was not one overweight person. Not one. I remember the first time I saw an overweight Chinese man because everybody walked everywhere and they ate like barbarians, three meals a day, huge. But when you're walking everywhere, you're burning a lot of calories. These calories, these people were healthy and they were, they were really happy that their society was growing. They had been coming out of this cultural revolution period with Mao. Mao was dead and the country was being developed and there was a, this started this, you know, growing, broad-based um, growth of all boats were, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. People were fired up. And I loved going there at that time because at that moment, they were hiding their intentions about America, and they were hiding them. I, I was bullshitted by experts. I thought we were all friends, kumbaya. It took me till about 2015 to figure out that it was a scam. Anyhow, the, the, the point I want to bring out is the Chinese uh, have a deep um, memory, and they don't have a mechanism for forgiveness. You know, we, we in, the, in the Judeo-Christian world have forgiveness and redemption. That just does not exist in China. It's a different culture. It's based on face. Their whole uh, mechanism for keeping their society working, going down the center of the road is, don't break the rules. In the West here, we break the rules all the time, and we have mechanisms for forgiveness. They don't have that there. Like here, if you kill somebody, you know, you might be on death row for 15, 20 years. There you kill somebody, get convicted, they shoot you, I don't know, six, eight weeks after the event. Justice is swift, really swift. You deal drugs in China, they shoot you. Hey, no problem. There's a lot. There is some drug use in China. There is. Because, you know, they're on the border with Afghanistan and they're close to the, uh, you know, Thailand. I mean, they're, they're where there's drugs. But, baby, you're taking a chance doing drugs in China. Here, hey, it's legal everywhere. 
they just legalized, uh, you know, uh, marijuana sales here in Minnesota. So now all the dispensaries are going to open up all over the place, and people are going to walk down the, you know, down the street smoking smart. How about walk to a protest smoking a, a joint? Be a way better use of your time. I mean, come on, protest, watching cartoons, make a decision and live with your decision. Please have a good time protesting. They're both fun, but let's have something that comes out of it. The Chinese have a memory. I want to just say this, then move on. They remember that the United States of America, along with seven seven other colonial powers, occupied their country in the late, well, you know, 1898, 1895. Over 50,000 troops went there, and the profitable business areas of the country were occupied and there was eight cantons created that were administered by the Germans and the, you know, the Americans and the British. You know, these were like little concessions where they exploited the Chinese people. And the Chinese remember this shit. We don't. How many of you remember the Boxer Rebellion? Have you ever heard of it? Please go to Wikipedia and look it up. The Chinese lost. There was a huge humiliation for them. They rebelled against the Western colonialists. They were put down. They were they were horribly humiliated, and that humil- humiliation has existed in the Chinese soul till today. They want revenge. We in the West sometimes we become vengeful, and we look down on that. We don't want people to be vengeful. We want people to be forgiving, to give for, not to take, not to take revenge. You know, isn't that part of what? Um, we got when, you know, Jesus came, that previously we lived under the law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for the tooth. And then somebody said, you know, if we do this, everybody's going to be blind and toothless. Jesus said, he who is without sin, throweth the first stone. Okay, the Chinese are kind of Jewish, okay? They're all about revenge. They believe in an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And that's where we're at with them. They want revenge on the United States of America. You and I didn't do anything to the Chinese, but they don't care about that. They see us the way they see themselves. They see themselves as a timeless ethno-nationalist tribe. They see us through their, you know, this is kind of a shortcoming of their, of their analysis. They see America like they see themselves. They see me guilty for what happened in 1898. You know, <laughs> you can't argue with the smartest person in the room. I've tried. doesn't work. So, you know, I pulled out of China, and I just want to say that I stayed in China, I would be super rich. I mean, like rich, 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 instead of like I am poor, poor, poor. And this I have in common with Royce. It was really interesting to talk to him because he passed on a very lucrative career in the NBA. And our stories are the same. And I'm just going to tell mine, and you can intuit his. When I pulled out of China, it was personal. I didn't like people who were disrespectful to me, didn't care how I felt, sought to manipulate me and use me. They really thought I'd just go on the payroll and do their bidding. And I said, hey, guess what? Fuck off. I'm not doing that. Up yours. I'm not doing that. And it has cost me a fortune. And made me, you know, economically, you know, I'm not 
who I could have been. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm living hand to mouth, but I'm close to it. And, uh, you know, that's okay because I believe that um, I walk by faith and not by sight. That's another one. We're going to start talking about how to pray. Uh, you know, today it's going to be, if I get to it, if I have time, I'm going to say that uh, we need to start as an American community to realize that we're living in a spiritual battle, and we all do realize it. How are we going to fight back? You know, our habit becomes our character, becomes our destiny. You know, let, let's just talk about one thing for the men. I mean, we all the men know about porno, porn. Excuse me. I'm old. Guess what? Every time you look at it, they know you're looking at it. Doesn't that make you embarrassed? Like, man, that's embarrassing. I'm not. They're watching what you're doing. They know what we're doing when we do this. Just quit. Just on that basis alone, okay? Just on that basis alone. You know, it's like shooting a gun. There's a muzzle flash. Everybody that wants to kill you, they know where you are. When you do that, just for that reason, okay, that's enough besides all the unhealthful reasons. And what it really gets down to, we know we're living in a world where there's a humongous exploit. I'm killing that word humongous. Sorry, it came out again. I just don't like the word. It's personal. I'm trying to get good at my at my presentation. I just don't like the word. We're living in a world where there is a systematic exploitation of children. Maybe one day I'll tell you how I was involved and understand that in 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 a very up close and in personal way. Children are exploited sexually in the most atrocious ways. And that free um, sexuality that you can see, that I can see, that it's, you know, you see it, you know, on Fox News, you can scroll down and they're selling Fox News with images of, of women. It's just terrible because underneath that is children that are being exploited for their sexuality. And we just have to realize, and I, and I was there, you know, I was there in the 1970s where the Baptist preachers were railing against music that was sexually suggestive. And I thought those preachers were racists. But, you know, they were trying to keep the cork in the bottle because when that cork came out, with it came all manner of perversity. So the boomer generation, hey, when you're out there screaming about these transgenders and how terrible they are, take responsibility for your own sexual decisions. Change how you act. Change how I act. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about myself. I have to I have to modify my own behavior because this didn't turn out anyway the way I thought it was going to. This has gone completely off the rails. And it turns out that having some limits, when there's no limits, there's no limits. Do you get it? Look at what we're looking at here. We're looking at a complete breakdown of the entire history of 100,000 years of human evolution. You know, there's a very easy way to start reversing this. My personal conduct. My personal conduct. I have to tell you, in Minnesota, you know, I'm pretty prominent in uh, politics. And uh, Henry Kissinger said that power is the greatest aphrodisiac. And I have to say it's true because there's a lot of people who want to hang around with me. You know, I just have to tell them, I'm doing this for God, country, and family. That's it. I mean, every action I do, and I'm saying this for you too, because if we don't get this personal thing right, 
And the greatest way we can change this whole dynamic is in our personal conduct. We are disempowering evil by being good. The extent that we can spread out good, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of prayer, either this podcast or the next podcast. You know, that's why I'm calling myself the professor. And let me just say, I looked in the live chat and people were saying, oh, is he a professor? Hey, I could have been a professor. My father was a professor. I'm educated to be a professor. You know why I'm not a professor? I'm not working in a leftist institution. It's just that simple. I'm not doing it. I have the skills. I have the motor to do it. I was raised from the time I was born to be a professor. And I have to say to these people, up yours, because they're the ones selling the propaganda, and I'm just not going to participate in it. So for the people in the live chat on the Please Call Me Crazy um, uh, event that I, you know, I, I got a chance to present, again, thank you, Royce. You know, uh, it's a nom de guerre. It, it, you know, I, and I'm not trying to misrepresent myself, but I am a person that has a wide range of experience. I am educated, and I'm not just educated in books. As they would say, I've been in country. I've done a lot of things. And, uh, you know, that makes my, my knowledge much more practical, and that's what I'm trying to share. Like, I've been to China 200 times. How many of our elected officials can say they know how to, they know the Chinese, I know the Chinese, because I married into their culture. I understand that. Anthropologists always did this, you know, in the back in the 17, 18, and 1900s when the anthropology was just getting going. They'd marry into the culture. That's how you understand a culture. You don't study it like a lab rat, like these people with surveys now. They actually had kids with the people. Oh, then you're going to learn the culture. And that's what I've done in my life. And that's no different than the story I told about, you know, getting into the Palestinian community. I told this on uh, Please Call Me Crazy. I, you know, I was so interested in understanding what being an Israelite was, being a Jew was, that I actually immersed myself in Palestinian culture for many years. My best friend was a Palestinian. You know, this is the kind of anthropological research that you have to do if you want to understand how people think. You can't get it from a book. you got to get in the dirt. By the way, my father was an anthropologist, so I had a little training in this. He was also a philosopher of science. I had a little training in this. He was actually a philosopher and a logician, and he started training me in this stuff when I was three years old. Oh, and he was a rabbi. Hey, I got some training growing up. My family was a secret society. Lucky me. My father, my house, the walls was bookcases. You can see I'm getting a little emotional because I miss my father. And he was a good man, and he devoted his life to trying to find the truth. Every inch of the every inch of wall in my home was a bookcase. All books that he had read, and reviewed, and studied. And you know what he did for me? He gave me the best of them, because you know what? Most of them were dog shit. But he vetted them out for me, and he said, "Here's where you go." He did me a great service, a great service. And that's what I'm trying to do to you, or for you. Not well. That's a little bit too honest. Excuse my Freudian slip. Freud, another one we're going to get to. I'm not trying to do it to you. I'm trying to share it with you. In a way, I'm trying to do it to you. It's, you know, sometimes, as we're going to see in a second, in vino veritas. So this China thing is, is really, really uh, ultra, ultra important that we understand that the Chinese are carrying a cultural memory of humiliation 
by the Western powers and by the Japanese. And they have no mechanism culturally to expiate that other than revenge. They're seeking revenge. But what our leaders don't know is, well, you know, maybe they do know it. They're not seeking military revenge. They're not going to attack San Francisco. What they're seeking is the reunification of the Chinese people, which was Hong Kong, which they took it back from the British, and they view Taiwan as being, you know, an American protectorate, which in essence it is. But what they really want is they want to make all of us poor the way we made them poor. They want all of our money, and guess what? We're giving it to them. They're not taking it. We're giving it to them, and I'm going to tell you why. Our elites have turned us all into Marxists. They don't believe in God, okay? So they don't give a shit. It's all about them. Narcissists. Every time you go to a big box store and you buy something and you look at it, oh, made in Thailand, that's not Chinese. No, it's Chinese. They've spread their factories out all over Asia to beat the U.S. government's attempts to slow them down. Our entire hard goods supply chain has been dominated by China. But let me tell you what's going on. Guys like me who have been screaming, you know, I pulled out of there. Mexico, our southern neighbor, is almost sending as many hard goods now to the United States as China is. Now, China's still huge, but Mexico is coming up. Got a lot of problems with Mexico. A lot. Another podcast or 10. I I mean, I've been in Mexico many, many times. Love Mexico. I've got Mexican people working with me every day. That's called friend shoring. It's still importing. For the people that are saying, well, we need to reindustrialize America. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. But friend shoring is a step in the right direction. And with the right policies, with the right will, when we get off the bench, the American people, you know why it has to be in Mexico? It's because when you go to a website like TireGet or any of them, and you put in a, a, a size or a price, you know, a size or a, an item you want to buy, and then you get your browser and you look at all the big box stores. Oh, it's cheaper over at Blah Blah Mart or Blah Blah Get or wherever. And then to save a couple of bucks, you buy it there. They've turned you into a Marxist. If we're going to survive as a country and maintain our wealth, we're going to have to pay a little bit more for the products made in the United States. It's more than about just the money. It's about the United States of America. And all of us as brothers and sisters in this great republic, caring one for another. But when all we do is think about the money, when all we do is be a materialist, it's just about the money. It's just about me. It's just about me and my money. Ah, you don't know it but you've become a Marxist. Now they're going to, some of the listeners are going to go, Oh, I got $14 million in the bank. How can you call me? I got 40 million in the bank. How can you call me a Marxist? Because if all you care about is that money, you are what Marx calls a useful idiot. Because when that money's gone, if we don't turn this around, all that money's going to get drained away. Do you see this inflation? I was, I was looking in the news today. Now the restaurants are starting to slow down because people don't have the money to eat out. Now the restaurants are going to close. Then the real estate's going to go bust. We're in a death spiral here, a death spiral 
that is based on intentional policy to destroy the middle class and the upper middle class of this country. They want to make everybody poor. And why do they want to do that? Because when they do that, we're going to be dependent. They're destroying our self-governance, and they're doing it. Our own government, our our elected officials are destroying our ability to self-government. They are destroying our ability to self-govern with intention, with evil intent. That's my idea today. That's what I see. That's my street corner. And we're going to continue to talk about it. We're just going to continue to talk about it. Let's play this piece. Uh, Johnny Ringo. Let's let Johnny Ringo show up here. Thanks, Kate. my table. Mr. Earth, would you mind signing an autograph for me, sir? My wife's not going to believe this. Wide Earth, huh? Heard of you. Listen now, Mr. Kansas Law Dog. Law don't go around here. Savvy? I'm retired. Good. That's real good. Yes. Yeah, that's real good, Law Dog, because Law just don't go around here. Yeah, I heard you the first time. Winner to the king, $500. <laughs> Shut up, I. Eh? <laughs> you must be Doc Holliday. <coughs> that's the rumor. You retired, too? Not me. I'm in my prime. Yeah, you look it. You must be Ringo. Look, darling. Johnny Ringo. The deadliest pistol since Wild Bill, they say. What do you think, darling? Should I hate him? You don't even know him. No, that's true, but... I don't know. There's just something about him. Something around the house. I don't know. Reminds me of me. No. I'm sure of it. I hate him. He's drunk. In vino veritas. Ajik Wurajis. Creda Judaea Sotella non ego. Eventus Stultorum. Come on, boys. We don't want any trouble in here, not in any language. That's Latin, darling. Evidently, Mr. Ringo's an educated man. Now I really hate him. Watch it, Johnny. I hear he's real fast. <laughs> Yeah. Oh. 
Tanner, I got to ask you a question. Have you ever seen that scene before? Oh, that's great. See, you know, this is why we do. Oh, that's that's great. Um, that that movie's called Tombstone. See, you do this stuff, and you just assume everybody knows these things. This is a great movie. Okay, so if you haven't seen Tombstone from 1993. Hey, I'm just put this out here because number one, I like it, but number two, it's going to make a point. But you know, that's almost a perfect scene. It's a perfect scene. It, it encapsulates so much of what it is to be an American and what it is to be a human being. First of all, these people had style. Did you notice the style? And you know, there's two things they can never take away from me my style and my smiles and my cries. Got to have style. Style. And these guys had style, right? And then it brought out that they were educated men. They spoke Latin. They were educated men, and they had skills. They had been in a secret society. To learn Latin, you were in a secret society right there, for sure. Both Catholics raised, you know, to speak Latin. And the gunplay, fantastic. And that was an actor. You know, that guy's got a name. I mean, I'm going to leave it for you to research it. But he actually learned how to do that. And that takes a lot of skill if you've ever tried to do something like that. Try not to shoot yourself. And the idea here is, is that these people were educated savages. And they were savage. And, you know, we as self-governing Americans sought to limit the violence of these self-governing savages because they were not really down with rule of law. So we created more and more laws to rein in their freedom. And there's there's a balance point in there where there's savagery and freedom. Because, you know, you're either a decadent or a savage. And I'm going to tell you the difference between the two. A savage is willing to die for what they believe in. A decadent has nothing that they believe in that is worth them dying. And that's where we're at today. These globalists believe I'm a savage. They think I'm a savage, and there's a lot of, uh, you know, kind of content in the word savage. They, and then we have the noble savage, that's the educated savage, a, a person who, who has principles that they're willing to die for, savages. And then we have decadence. They don't have any principles, and they're not willing to die under any circumstances. In fact, right now, they're seeking any kind of technological means for extending their lives. Decadence and savages. 
This movie Tombstone is about that transition between a freedom that was tilted towards savages and moving towards decadence. That's what this period of American history was about. And, you know, these two guys were squared off, Johnny Ringo and Doc Holliday. You know, they're like, they're like the globalists and the Russians. And they're both educated. And they're looking at each other, and they got guns, and somebody's going to die. Well, maybe both of them are going to die. You know what the only difference is? The technology involved. Human nature hasn't changed. It's the technology. These guys could kill each other and maybe a few unfortunates in the vicinity. You know, unintended consequences. Bystanders. But they couldn't kill the whole world. Proven who was the baddest ass. Who was the guy. What they were really saying was, who's got the most style? Who's got? It was kind of a dance-off with guns, right? A dance-off with guns. It's not any different between the globalists and the Russians. It's unfettered um, survival of the fittest behavior. And um, if we don't rein these people in with love, they will kill us. They They do not give a shit about you and me. We don't even enter into their equation. The only thing that's entering into their equation is who's left. Remember, War does not determine who is right and who is wrong. It only determines who is left. I want to say it again. War does not determine who is right and who is wrong, but only who is left. And then they write the history. So go watch Tombstone. It's it's a classic. It's nice to know Tanner didn't know it existed because maybe there's some of you that will have a very entertaining weekend taking two hours and a bag of popcorn and watching this thing. It's really worth it. So moving along, moving along, I've run way over and I'm never going to get done with my agenda today. Prayer is going to start out the next podcast because we can't give short shrift to the most important subject. I went to an event this past uh, Tuesday in the midst of all this sturm und drang that I've uh, been in the middle of caused by my young friend who decided to send out my Pod, my podcast critical of uh, Congressman Emmer's uh, description of the debt ceiling. I wasn't really trying to be critical of, you know, Congressman Emmer. I don't know him after all. Now I do. <laughs> I was just critical of the way he sold the thing because I thought he was lying. And I was very uh, upfront about it. And you go back a couple podcasts and there it is. What the congressman had put forth was that it was the biggest, that debt ceiling bill was the biggest budget cut in American history. And the only cuts that are really guaranteed is $35 billion. And the other some $2 trillion he talked about is based on future budgetary outcomes. And he neglected to talk about that the debt ceiling would go up by any amount it needed to between now and January 1st, 2025, and then would automatically be reset. And that 71 Republicans voted against that bill. It passed because of Democrat votes. And, you know, I went to an event Tuesday night. Very small group of people went and sat with uh, Congressman Emmer, and I I met him and shook hands with him, and I talked to him very directly. He's a great salesman. You know, to be a good politician, let's just, let's just face the facts. If you can't sell, 
you're in a support role. One of the problems we got here in Minnesota is a lot of the people we got uh, selling Republicanism. I can't say it. You know, there's things that I know that I can say that are just too rude. But these people, I'm going to modify. I thought of another one. It's kind of the PG version. I, you know, I can't even say that one. These people can't sell. You know, I, I grew up as a, you know around salespeople. So, you know, I like that kind of thing. And I look at them, and these people just can't sell. They can't sell. Emmer is a great salesman. And he has a loyal following that I met in this room of cultists. I mean, these people just, they're just into it, okay? I mean, there, there wasn't any critical thinking going on at all. They love the congressman. And uh, I told you this one, I was at another meeting, this lady goes up, I hate you. I go, you do? I don't even know who you are. Why do you hate me? She goes, you were critical of Congressman Emmer. I hate you. Okay, I get it. Because he's got a lot of people that love him. And I can see why. He's a good-looking dude. He dresses kind of cash. He's kind of stylish. He's got a nice way about him. He's friendly. He's a good salesman. He's quick on his feet. He's intelligent. I give him high marks as a salesman. As a matter of fact, if he loses his day job, he can always come and work for me because, you know, we, we need salespeople. He's a good one. And uh, someone even said to me that his house majority whip, that's what he's supposed to do. He's supposed to take shit and sell it as caviar. Hey, great. And he's doing a good job. Now, you know, I've made this comment and I'll make it again. If it's the job of the house majority whip to take dog shit and sell it as caviar, I don't want that anymore. If we're going to get out of this jam we're in as the American people, we're going to have to start being honest. And I don't mean occasionally. I mean 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And we're living in a world that William Casey set up for us, and I just have to keep saying it. Because, you know, he was uh, the same as Joseph Goebbels. The same guy. Goebbels, the head of the Ministry of uh, Propaganda for the Germans. Casey and uh, Goebbels are the same guy. We will know our disinformation program is a success when everything the American people believe is a lie. So that's one poll. And what's the other polarity? If we don't get some truth coming out here, we are screwed. We're already screwed. So if we don't want to get even more screwed, we got to get back to the truth. And uh, I want to say in all candor that when you lose something, you lost it. You got to let it go. You know, the water's under the bridge. The milk is spilt. You know, the, the chance to address our budget problem that was available to us as the American people in this debt ceiling negotiation, that's been lost. And I'm going to downplay the fact that, I, in my opinion, as I read the bill, that the Biden administration can spend anything they want to spend. I'm going to, I'm going to leave that out. Because the, I asked the, the congressman, he said, that's not true. I read the bill differently. I'm going to defer to his superior review and involvement in the process. But what he said all the time is that the bill will force back into um, order, natural order of the Congress, the passing of 12 appropriation bills that cover the different uh, you know, areas of appropriation, that 12 bills will have to be passed by September 1st. 
If they're not passed, there's a continuing resolution. October 1st, excuse me. They'll, they'll pass a continuing resolution. And then on January 1st, if they don't pass not, uh, these 12 discrete bills that cover the appropriations and expenditures of our government, there's an automatic sequestration that goes across all of government and spending is reduced 1% across the board. Of course, except for, except for of course, our, our gallant and so protected military. That continues to increase, which is another podcast, another conversation. So it all comes down to this, Congressman. You didn't stop them at the point of attack. Thinking about it like football. Okay, it's, you know, a new play. In fact, the Democrats moved the sticks. They got everything they wanted. They got everything they wanted. On that day, what's going to happen between now and January 1st, 2024? Is the Republican Congress going to grow a set of principles, a set of principles, and actually work towards balancing the budget of this country? Because it's my belief that there's only two reasons these people are up there. Protect the currency and protect the people. Anything else they're doing, I mean, you know, think about it. Well-being, protect our economic futures, right? We don't need them for the spiritual. We got churches and synagogues, okay? Just deal with the cash and deal with the defense and don't fuck it up. And that's all they've done since uh, 2000 and Bush. You like that one? I love that one. It's been this way since 2000 and Bush. One unending series of debacles and failures. And here we are. We just passed $32 trillion in debt. We're $2 trillion in the hole this year. $2 trillion. It's 1,200 miles into the air of $100 bills stacked one atop of the other. And here we go. We've got this now budgetary process that's going to culminate in either 12 passed, you know, Congress passes it, the Senate agrees, and Biden signs it, and we have actually a budgetary process which has not happened in this country since 1994, according to the congressman. That's his words, not mine. We're going to see how this turns out, and I'm going to suspend my judgment. I'm going to open my heart. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to watch everything they do, like that song from Sting, Every Move You Make. We have to pressure these people to not turn us into serfs because if we leave them to their own devices before they kill all of us, they want all of our money. They want all of the money, and then they want to clip us out. That's the way they're playing right now. The inflation's out of control. The budget's out of control. The currency's in threat. While we're deploying nuclear-capable F-16s to Europe, do you get the scam? Break the currency, blame it on the Russians, have a war, and then have the Great Reset. You know, that's, you know, I didn't come up with this. You know, this is probably 80% of the people watching this know that, know that this is what the game is. If you don't know, let me know in the group chat, and we'll spend a lot of time working on this because the, the currency, the finances of the world are completely screwed up. These people with their fractionalized banking have gotten so far out over their skis, they can't pay off, right? So, hey, you know, if you're going broke, what's another $50 trillion? Fuck it. That's their idea. But that's you and me they're screwing. 
They're fine. They're fine. It's not going to affect the super uber rich. It's you and me that are going to get broken in this deal. So I have a very, very sincere comment to the congressman who spoke at great length about the danger China poses. You want to save the country from the Chinese? Balance the budget. You want to scare the Chinese? You want them to take us seriously? Balance the budget. You know, the Chinese get up in the morning and go to sleep at night trying to figure out how to make money, how to save money. That's all they do. You know what we do? How to spend money. Yin and yang, east and west. You know, they got a good idea about this. Let's start saving some money here. Let's start living within our means. We are so fucking brainwashed on this issue, I have to swear. This is what propaganda is all about. We're spending trillions more than we're taking in, and we think it's okay. It doesn't work like that. They're breaking us. Any of you out there that are struggling with your finances, we're going to talk about that just in terms of prayer. I mean, we can make a lot of progress on this. We can help each other. We don't have to be living dog-eat-dog. That's another scam. Just a scam. We're living in a world of scams, and we're told it's the truth. You know, got to change it. That's what the podcast is all about. So, Congressman Emmer, thank you for talking with me. Thank you for presenting. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for being critical of that bill, and I'm not going to be apologizing for how you sold it. But we're going to clear the boards. That's passed. Nothing we can do about that. Now I'm not holding a grudge. What are you going to do for me today? How are you going to balance the budget today? What is leadership going to do to preserve my money and my health and my freedom from now until January 1st? Hey, it's just the end of June. We don't have long to wait. Because if we come up on January 1st and these sons of bitches gave away the farm again, I guess we're going to know we're being lied to for sure. I would prefer sequestration where all government is cut by 1% than they just cave again. So you know how they're not going to cave? You know how they're going to have some backbone? It's you and me. Do you know you can go to the uh, Congress website and look up your congressman and your senator and they have a beautiful portal where you can write them a letter electronically. Don't be rude because they're going to knock on your door if you threaten on them. This is not about threatening people. This is about using eloquent composition to move the people that we're depending on to lead us. And you know how we get what we need from them? We hold them accountable. You come into the party. You tell them, hey, you know what? I was listening to the Professor Penn podcast. I realized that I could join the Republican Party in my backyard. And you know what? I'm kind of mega. So just to let you know, that's who I am. Not really happy to hear that you're, you know, shit-talking Donald Trump. Not saying yes or no that you're going to do that. Just an idea. They need to know that there's tens of millions of American citizens that, you know, support President Trump. They just want him to go away. And I'm not taking a position yes or no as Professor Penn on this. I'm just saying it's too soon to do it because we're going to have a primary. But for the people that support President Trump, you need to know these guys are out trash-talking him. And I meanly trash-talking him. Trash-talking him. Just tell him, no, I support President Trump, and I support fixing the country. And the first step is balancing the budget. And guess what? I'm in the Republican Party now. So I, I, took, I took a seat at the table. I got a stake at, you know, in the game. I got a vote. 
I actually have a vote. You know, if you want to get renominated to run again for Congress, I'm in CD6. I joined the party. I'm a delegate. I'm going to explain all this to you. It's not going to take very long. This, the Republican Party is a secret society. It's run that way. I've been in it long enough. Hey, I've been in secret societies. It took me 20 years to figure out. Well, I've got some experience now. It took me about two years to figure this out. And you know what I figured out? The one in Minnesota? It's run by the Three Stooges. Yes, I call them the Three Stooges. If you're listening to me, have a change of heart. Mr. We don't do that here. Mr. History doesn't matter. And Mr. We don't need any more Republicans. The Three Stooges. Let me tell you a story. In Judaism, we got some people that are very holy. I mean, really holy. They've been holy their whole lives. The Black Hats. And they're revered because their faith is so strong in God. They don't chase money. They don't chase women. They don't get high. All they do is study the Lord's Word in every waking minute of their lives. In fact, they don't even have to work. The community supports them. All they do is eat and pray. Hey, that's a secret society, right? <laughs> secret as it gets. But I'm going to tell you something. The Three Stooges, my, my three friends, Mr. We Don't Do That Here, Mr. History Doesn't Matter, and Mr. We Don't Need Any More Republicans. In that secret society of the Jews, if you go out and make big mistakes in how you think about things, and you make huge errors, and at a certain point, God moves your heart and you have a change of behavior and you realize that you're not with the people and you come back into the family and you're with the people, they have a special name for you. You're called a Balchuva. You've returned. You've returned to the people and you have a higher status than someone who's prayed their whole life. That man that never lost it, he's lower status than somebody who lost it and come back. So we want you to come back. We don't hate you. We don't have any problem with you. We're trying to change how you think, that you realize that we, the people, are not with you anymore. We want you to come back. Hey, we were all dreaming not that long ago. We're just waiting for our leadership to come back in with us so we can start making America about America and not about the globe. You know, we're, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. We're not interested in European philosophy. We don't want that devil philosophy. We don't want the devil philosophy. That's just the way it is. We hope you have a change of heart and become a returnee to America, to what made America great. So this Ever event was really interesting, and uh, we're going to let the jury be out, and we're going to pressure Congressman Emmer, or whoever is the congressman where you live. If you don't know what congressional district you're in, please find out. You can find it right online where you live. Then you find out who your elected officials are. Then you know what you do? Since we're not going to be going to those websites anymore because it's not good for us, take that time and go to their website and send them a letter. Tell them how you feel. Be very, very eloquent. And I'm going to warn you. If you threaten these people, they're going to come pick you up and put you in jail. We're not threatening anybody. We are one family. We are one American community. And we're having a constitutionally mandated argument 
This is how our culture, how our politics works. Let's give these people a parliamentarian suppository. Moving along. Out of time. We're going to start with prayer next time. It'll be great. I got the whole weekend to think about it and pray about it. The Warren Commission. Just want to just take, because my theory is this is where we went off the rails. 1963 with the Warren Commission, with this whole, the four martyrs started in 1963. Can you play this first, please? Uh, first piece uh, with JFK talking about secret societies, please. Start at 424. Two requirements of direct concern, both to the press and to the president. Two requirements that may seem almost contradictory in tone but which must be reconciled and fulfilled if we are to meet this national peril. I refer first to the need for far greater public information and second to the need for far greater official secrecy. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are as a people inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. We decided long ago that the dangers of excessive and unwarranted concealment of pertinent facts far outweigh the dangers which are cited to justify it, the facts they deserve to know. Very good. And, let, you know, this is, the, this is the great secrets. We abhor secrets. Secrets. What's this whole fight that's surrounding me here in the Republican Party? They don't want the, my version. I'm not saying it's the truth. They don't want my version of the truth to come out. They want to keep everything secret that does not agree with their narrative. William Casey, we will, this was in 1981. Hey, look what happened to Kennedy just a few months after this. They blew his brains out. And why? Because the CIA director said, we will know our disinformation program is a success when everything the American people believe is a lie. And here's President Kennedy saying the exact opposite thing. You can't get more polar opposite. You can't. And you know what? He was taking on the secret society of the security agencies. That's a complete secret society. They're secret agents, man. You don't get any more secret agent. You don't get any more secret than a secret agent. I mean, everything these people say is a lie. And you say, no, that's, that is in contradiction to a free and open society, just like empire stands in contradiction to self-governance. Kennedy was on to this. He knew. He was talking it out. Nobody's spoken like this since him because, hey, all of our elected, all of our elected leaders have a collective conscious memory of what we're going to see here in a minute. Let's play this peace speech even better, even better. I mean, this is really getting down to the heart of it. What kind of a peace do I mean, and what kind of a peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana, enforced on the world by American weapons of war. Not the peace of the grave, or the security of the slave. I am talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on Earth worth living, the kind that enables men and nations to grow and to hope, and build a better life for their children. Not merely peace for Americans, but peace for all men and women. Not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. I speak of peace, therefore, as the necessary 
rational end of rational men. I realize the pursuit of peace is not as dramatic as the pursuit of war, and frequently the words of the pursuers fall on deaf ears, but we have no more urgent task. Our problems are man-made, therefore they can be solved by man, and man can be as big as he wants. No problem of human destiny is beyond human beings. Man's reason and spirit have often solved the seemingly unsolvable, and we believe they can do it again. And if we cannot end now our differences, at least we can help make the world safe for diversity. For in the final analysis, our most basic common link is that we all inhabit this small planet. We all breathe the same air. We all cherish our children's futures, and we are all mortal. I certainly don't want to criticize uh, Kennedy for such a beautiful speech. I mean, and for those of you that don't know the peace speech, it's about 20 minutes long. You can see it on YouTube. I, you know, I was alive when this speech was made, and I remember it. And I think everybody knows it. Like I thought Tanner knew Tombstone. Hey, maybe a lot of you don't know this. Is that not soaring rhetoric? Who talks like that anymore? These people are just clocks, the way they talk to each other and they talk to us. This man was talking to us like we were adults. It was a soaring rhetoric. It was a religious tone. Now, the one thing I will say, and you can hear that if you play it back, he was talking about man creating all problems and man solving all problems, and it was the natural outgrowth of reason uh, that there should be peace and not war. So it was really taking a very humanist uh, position, and he was saying that the logical conclusion of humanism is peace. He just didn't realize the mass-murdering fuckheads that had taken over humanism where it started in the first place. And perhaps he didn't have the courage because he was a Catholic and he was speaking into the, uh, you know, basically a Protestant uh, country where there was a lot of uh, discrimination against Catholics, maybe didn't want to, you know, wax overtly religious. And I don't know if he was a religious man, and I'm going to look it up. But this is a religious idea. He was speaking in a very religious fashion, and um, I'm not going to criticize him. I'm just saying that the the idea that peace is the uh, reasonable conclusion is um, it's true, but there's more to it than that. Let me just leave it at that. And look what happens to the guy just a few months later. The next piece, please. This is the Zapruder film. I just keep playing it over and over because the thing that amazes me is I believe that there was a lone gunman. I didn't even believe my own. Don't believe your own lying eyes because we're going to watch his head jack back. Here it comes. Oh, that shot came from behind and virtually the entire American public believed it. Unbelievable. That goes back to what William Casey said and what Joseph Goebbels said. If you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. It becomes the truth even to the people who are lying. For those of us who have lied, you know, we tell lies so often, they become our truths. And I'm going to tell you, just to be self-revelatory, I've done that. I mean, when I was a young, I'm talking about really young. I had stuff I told, you know, I just to, just to fit in, told stories that weren't true. 
I mean, it's not even worth to tell the story, but it, you know, it was petty. But you know, I, I, I did it. You know, you tell a lie often enough, and it becomes your truth. And we want to get away from that to whatever extent we can, because we're all magnificent just as we are. You know, why do we lie and exaggerate? We don't understand that we are children of God's creation. We don't recognize our own brilliance because we live in lies that tell us we're nothing. You know, I had this conversation with Tanner. He started talking about being a doomer. I'm not picking on Tanner. Tanner is a supremely talented young man. If he only saw himself the way I see him, he'd be a lot more fired up. And that's the way it is. You know, you got to get an older person or a parent that's going to bring out in you your belief in the divinity that's inside of you. And that's what we're going to talk about praying. How do we get in touch with that? Because once that happens, hey, up yours. That's it. That's it. The game's over. Enough of us get to that spot, they lose. Because, hey, what they're trying to convince us is, is that we're protoplasm, that we're inventory, that they can manipulate us, that we don't mean anything, that we can get clipped out. Up yours, kids. It's not going to work that way. Not if it's up to the people that believe. The believers have got to get out there now and get in that. That's another thing. People say to me all the time, ah, oh, I got a really good friend. I love this guy. Boy, did we have an unbelievable meeting. Unbelievable. On an airplane. And he went to the bathroom. He came back, and he, I looked at him, and I said, uh, you must believe in God. He looked at me, why do you know? I said, I can see it in you. We've been best friends ever since. The guy is fantastic. And I've been trying to get him involved in politics for years, and he doesn't want to do it because he considers that his involvement in the church is political enough for him, that he's actually out to save souls. And, you know, I'm not arguing with him. I'm not. That's fantastic. And he's not just doing it by talk. He's in the trench doing the work. But it's time for people of all faiths to realize that if we don't get into this political process, and put our shoulders to the main mass as unseemly as it seems. They're going to kill us, period. That's the end of it. F-16s, nuclear capable. They have F-16s that are not nuclear capable. They could have sent them over there. They sent these nuclear capable ones for a reason. These people are starting the nuclear war. we got to get on these Congress people immediately, not two months from now, today. Go to your Congress, find out who your congressperson is, Go to their website and send them a, a you know a letter. It's not hard. It's all it's all you don't have to write. It's just right through the portal. It's fantastic. Start writing these people. Hold them accountable. So I want to do one last piece. We're going to run out of time today. I'm gonna I'm gonna end where we're gonna start. I'm gonna show you what a cover up looks like, and then we're gonna say goodbye for today. And next week we're gonna start with prayer in this cover-up. So we're going to, I was going to call this episode 33 degree, but we're going to have to call it as nuclear capable. Okay? Nuclear capable. Because we never got to the 33 degree. We're going to do that starting on Monday. You'll see it Tuesday night. Let's play this last piece uh, about the Warren Commission, and then I'll talk a little bit more, and then we'll, we'll end for this session. Thank you. 
Almost exactly 10 months after the fateful November 22nd, the seven members of the Warren Commission, headed by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, come to the White House to give to the President the results of their painstaking investigation into the determinable facts of the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. For President Johnson's instruction to the Commission was to satisfy itself that the truth is known so far as it can be discovered. The report's 300,000 words trace the facts and without prejudging the implications of that day that started so brightly and ended so blackly at high noon on the streets of Dallas. Through questioning of every possible witness, restaging of the events of the morning drive, the commission reports that the fatal shots that entered President Kennedy's head and throat were fired by Lee Harvey Oswald from the Texas School Book Depository, acting solely by himself, and that there was no conspiracy, either foreign or domestic. Following the details of the crowded half hour between the time the president was shot and declared dead, the commission finds some inadequacies in security measures that might have saved the president's life had there been more liaison between the FBI and the Secret Service. In the circumstances surrounding the shooting of Oswald two days later, it found the Dallas police and the press sharing responsibility for the breakdown of law enforcement. For although these pictures showing the prisoner being led through the basement of the Dallas police headquarters and the shooting of Oswald by Jack Ruby made journalistic history, the confusion surrounding them made that killing possible and ended forever any chance of obtaining any evidence from Lee Harvey Oswald. The published report is eagerly sought after by everyday citizens. Its impact abroad and in the government is immediate. Congressional steps are to follow its recommendations for the stronger protection of presidents. And for the historians, the poets, and the dramatists of the future, it will illuminate, if never precisely solve, the mystery and tragedy that surround the death of John Fitzgerald Kennedy. That's good. Thank you, Tim. So we're going to start here. We're going to leave here and start here next time. That's what a cover-up looks like. In my opinion, to the Three Stooges, right? Mr. We don't do that here. Mr. History doesn't matter, and we don't need any more Republicans. The Three Stooges. Hey, I'm telling you, that's what a cover-up looks like from my perspective. And we still need to have a dialogue about this because we got to fight the power. Fight the power. So we're going to start here next time. We're going to delve into this Warren Commission and who these people were, and I'm just going to give you a little preview. Hey, the top four, they were all 33-degree Masons. What a surprise. A coincidence. So we're going to fight the power. We're going to go out with the Isley brothers. We started with the Bach Chacon, and we're going to go out with some real, real great music from the way back, if any of you remember the Isley brothers. Let's go out with that. I look forward to seeing you soon again. Look forward to seeing you in the live chat. And uh, it's, a, it's just a lot of fun to work with you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Time is really wasted.